The CBF Podcast Conversation is presented to you by Fuller Seminary. Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry offers a practice-focused theological education. Learn from Fuller's seasoned scholar practitioners with online classes and apply what you're learning to your own context. Whatever your ministry goals, Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry will help you take the next step in your vocation. For more information, visit fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. That's fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Conversations. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship through interviews with people doing groundbreaking work in renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from ministers, authors, and practitioners from across the fellowship and beyond. This is Andy Hale. We are honored that you join us each week for Conversations That Matter. That's why in 2020, we've tried to pivot to make sure that we are covering the things that need to be talked about, like the plague of racism in America and how the church is responding to the COVID-19 crisis. We're also coming up on our 150th episode, which would not be possible without listeners like you engaging each week in the conversation. Don't forget that you can be a part of supporting the podcast while receiving some great benefits, such as joining an interview with an upcoming guest, books from authors interviewed, and a VIP experience at this summer's General Assembly. We want to thank William Johnson and Cindy Folendor for their monthly support of the podcast. Check out how you can support at cbf.net backslash podcast support. And now, on to our conversation. Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Lacey Finn Borgo. Dr. Borgo is a spiritual director for children and caregivers at Haven House, Good Dirt Ministries, Fuller Seminary, Portland Seminary, and Mercy Center. She's also the author of a new book, Spiritual Conversations with Children. Lacey, thank you for joining the conversation. It's wonderful to be with you today. Now, besides living right on the edge of one of Colorado's most beautiful gems, the Black Canyon of the Gunnison, uh, tell us a little bit more about you. Sure, sure. Oh, you mentioned the Black Canyon. Um, I was just there couple of days ago on the northern rim and um, uh, getting close to the edge of the canyon and listening to the Gunnison roar down at the bottom um, probably um, tells a little bit about myself. Um, I really um, uh, am oriented to listen to the deep, kind of what is the deep thing happening in the lives of human beings and myself and how that deep kind of resonates with others and um, reminds us of our connection and God's longing for us. 
So I live here in gorgeous Colorado, truly, truly beautiful. Um, we're in a bit of a drought right now, so we're a little dry and crusty, but the, the views sure make up for it. Um, I'm a spiritual director, so I meet with adults um, and we listen together for what God is doing in their life. And I also meet with children um, in spiritual direction um, at, a, at Haven House, which is a transitional facility for homeless families. Um, I have a married for uh, let's see, in one month, it'll be 25 years, and I have teenage daughters of my own. So all of this has shaped and formed me um, and, you know, helped me to be able to accompany others and listen to where, uh, to where they are longing for God and where God is longing for them. Hmm. Let's take that concept a, a little a deeper as, you know, as you just mentioned, as I mentioned in the opener, you're, you're spiritual director for several organizations. You know, for those that aren't familiar with this concept and practice, uh, tell us what is spiritual directing? Sure. Spiritual direction, it's an old, old ministry. Um, uh, there are even some places in the New Testament where we can see that, um, you know, uh, Barnabas was accompanying Paul. And this accompanying and helping another um, hear what God is doing in their life and what invitations and sort of even uh, where we may need some encouragement or where we need to pay some attention to those old wounds that get stirred up. So it's a one-with-one relationship, and it can last, um, you know, a few months where you're meeting monthly or, um, you know, I have some directees I've been with for 10 years. So it can be a long-term relationship. And uh, you meet once a month, and really it's, it, it is an accompaniment ministry just coming alongside. Um, I had a, a directee describe it to me, said, who pastors the pastors? So who accompanies the pastors? So often pastors have spiritual directors. Um, I accompany many uh, spiritual uh, pastors and um, also lay people and missionaries and um, just come alongside and help them to listen. Hmm. Now, is there a difference between spiritual directing and coaching? Um, you know, there's huge coaching uh, culture within CBF Life. Sure. Yes, actually, there is. In coaching, um, there is you're listening for a problem or something to be solved. And as spiritual direction is, uh, it's long-term and we're not solving anyone's problems. Um, in fact, um, it, we often say in spiritual direction that actually God is the spiritual director. We're just setting the table. Uh, and we are helping um, our directees to hear where um, God is moving and even bring some of their deeper woundings and questions to the surface. We're not solving any problems. That's for coaches and for therapists, um, not for spiritual directors. So as you think about uh, some of your work on a practical basis, you know, um, uh, maybe for our clergy that are listening to it, give us, uh, give us your best sales pitch of why they should have a spiritual director in their life. Uh, well, um, I, I would say um, 
what is that's such a great question i don't think i've ever thought of what is the sales pitch for spiritual direction or why a pastor should have one um i i think every person and even pastors and because um the the sermons that we preach and the people that we um, minister to what's happening in their lives can touch in us something of our own deep longings and our own deep wounds. And if we don't have a place where um, our own life with God, where we can set a time and bracket, give resource, energy, thought, reflection to our life with God, then, uh, then one, we can project all of our own pain and sorrow and struggle um, into the lives of the we minister to and cause harm. And two, um, uh, being with a director helps to feed and, um, and gives us space to reflect on and allow the spirit to grow our relationship with God. And in direction, that is the focus. There's so much pastors, especially now, that's one of the things I'm hearing during, in, you know, we're in the middle of COVID and pastors, man, they are exhausted, absolutely exhausted. Um, I have a, uh, a group of pastors that I meet with in group direction, and they are all exhausted, being, having to try to get services online and to minister to people remotely has just tapped them. So who tends to their soul? And that's what direction does. That was a pretty good sales pitch. <laughs> kind of long, but yeah. my my um, my um, church origin is Baptist, and we're just all a little long-winded. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, um, you hold an English degree from the University of Texas, a master's in education from State mm -hmm. University in New York, and a doctorate from Portland Seminary. Uh, if if you were having um, you know the attempt to have geographically uh, diverse education, you certainly uh, accomplished it. Um, maybe take us a little deeper into kind of the focus of these three degrees and how that's shaped and formed you into what you're doing today. Sure, thanks for asking. Um, well, I grew up in West Texas, so um, my home. If you've ever seen um, Friday Night Lights, that's my school. Those are my years. And there is a, and so that's where I went to, I got my bachelor's degree was in education, um, uh, elementary education, and specifically in English um, there in West Texas. And there's um, a certain forming. If, if any of your um, listeners are from West Texas, you know that um, West Texans are a hardy, hardy people. And they have, um, kind of this um, deep, staunch realism, as well as this longing um, for goodness. And uh, they're tough as nails, and they um, will rally for anything. And I think that that shaped and formed me um, to be the kind of person who looked for what was good in the world, you know, in the face of scarcity. Um, in tough times, I looked for what was good. 
Um, and, um, and then I married and I moved to New York um, with my spouse. And um, I was working in inner city Rochester, New York um, as a public school school teacher. And uh, in way over my head and um, uh, young and stupid and um, completely oblivious um, to my ignorance, incredible ignorance. And the school, uh, both the teachers and the principal and um, the students and the families uh, of the inner city in Rochester really um, uh, helped uh, ground my feet in reality. I had such um, monoculture notions about the world and they really helped soften me and knock off those breath edges. So I, I got my master's degree in education there in New York. And, uh, and really though, the big education happened at Lincoln School number 22, where those generous and good people um, uh, helped me understand what God's love is really like. And, um, and then, um, I don't know if you know who Richard Foster is, but I um, was sort of at the end of my rope. Um, I kept going to churches that just weren't feeding um, what I was looking for. Um, earlier in my life, I had gone um, as a short-term missionary to Kazakhstan, and my faith was shaken there. Um, it just new ways to see God's hand, um, those old container that held my faith wasn't holding it anymore so I was confused and a little lost when we lived in New York and a wonderful wonderful uh, woman sort of took me under her wing and uh, mentored me through Richard Foster's celebration of discipline and um, it deepened my faith in a, in a way that it was what I was looking for you know the Quakers understanding of being present to another and how social justice and uh, uh, is part of our faith. Um, the, all of that was uh, fed me and really deepened me. And it, it was at the same time of my experience of being in the inner city. And uh, so that was a gift and upon reading it, um, my husband, um, who is an inner, uh, he's an emergency room physician, said that he just couldn't do the, the urban hospital anymore. It was uh, really um, exhausting for him. And so we moved to Colorado. And from Colorado, I went to Portland Seminary, which is connected to George Fox um, University, and it's a Quaker school. And, uh, and that and, and in the getting my doctorate degree, um, I began to think about uh, spiritual direction, and um, I thought about the children that I had encountered uh, at Rochester, in Rochester, at Lincoln School Number 22, and about how their incredible resiliency, their capacity to see goodness. Um, and there was just something going on a little deeper. And so that was doctoral work, was understanding 
um, kind of taking all my education, those first two degrees, um, and, and um, kind of letting the spirit weave them together with theology and understanding of the human person. And, uh, and so I've been at Haven House meeting children in spiritual direction for about just now. Now, related to that, you've got a new book out, Spiritual Conversations with Children, Listening to God Together. Uh, this work is an invitation to not talk at or, or teach children, um, but to learn how our eyes and ears help us to uh, contemplatively listen to children. And you wrote, the love and longing which birth each child into existence is also present in the spiritual conversations and opens the child not only to their own realities, but also the reality of God. I wonder if you'll, uh, you know, walk us through what the impetus for, for writing this book, um, where, where all that all started. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I, it probably started way back in Rochester um, uh, when I was, you know, teaching children. Um, and it may have actually even started back. That's such a good question. And um, when I was a child, one of my first experiences of God was um, when I was a kid, we lived in Utah and um, we moved around as a kid too. Um, and uh, in the LaSalle mountains, and this was the early seventies. Um, so parents didn't um, as good <laughs> attention on their children <laughs> as we do today. So we were cutting firewood. My family was cutting firewood in the mountains. And I wandered into a grove of aspen trees. And I was maybe five years old, four or five years old. And um, I, it was all so you can imagine the gold leaves of the aspens kind of twinkling in the sun. And um, I, it was just, I was captivated, absolutely captivated. And I remember I just needed to get a better look. So I laid down on my back and the earth was super spongy. And I looked up and um, I had almost like a sudden awareness, a sudden sense that I wasn't alone and whatever was with me, I was loved and it was safe. And my parents are nowhere. I don't know where they are. I mean, who knows where they were. They could have been super near and I just didn't know it. But I didn't have a sense of them there. But I had a sense of something other. And um, this sustained me in many seasons and moving and all sorts of things in my childhood. But when I went to church, I had a different experience altogether. I had an experience of being told that um, I was far from God. So I had had an experience of being with God and having a sense, even though I didn't really have language for it, of God's presence. But then I went to church and I was given information that said I was far from God. And further and, and even further, um, God was angry with me. That was what I understood that I that there would be an end time coming and that I would be, you know, there would be people left behind. All of this is uh, kind of rustling around inside of me. And there's some 
great research now, of course, um, many years later, 40 years later, there's some great research that talks about, that gives us some understandings around people's first experiences of God. And, and uh, it's the Religious Education Research Unit, if you're interested. And, and people port having these experiences of goodness, beauty, and truth, and naming them as God when they were young. And so, um, and, and they're easily forgotten if they are not uh, recognized and um, kind of laying down a neurological footprint in the brain with them. So I had forgotten mine for years um, until I was an older adult and began to look back on my childhood. And I suddenly remembered, oh, I have this memory. And, and that the God of the universe and longed me into existence, and God longed for me there. Well, what if we didn't have the middle piece? What if we began to understand that human beings are wired for encounter with God, and God has longed us into existence, and the Holy Spirit is not um, held back by human capacity to name or reason, or that might leave our differently abled brothers and sisters out. And we know that God is not like that. So what if we began to listen to children and we help them recognize where God's presence is in their life and we help them respond to God's presence? Well, that's an encounter that we're not likely to walk away from. This CBF podcast is presented to you by the Center for Congregational Health. At the Center, we help lay leaders, clergy, and congregations find ways to thrive in the midst of change. Our experience in highly trained consultants and coaches don't prescribe one-size-fits-all solutions. Instead, we work alongside you and take your unique congregation and ministry context seriously. We believe the wisdom for thriving comes from the leadership of the Spirit. We help create the spaces for congregations to hear and recognize that God-given wisdom. Please visit our website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about the center and find the help you need in order to thrive in ministry. You wrote a child's picture of God entangled with their picture of their parents or grandparents can be life-giving when relationship is safe, nurturing, and loving. Other times when the picture doesn't reflect the character of Christ, harm to a child's view of God can or does occur. You know, as a as a father of mm. of two children, um, two girls, um, you know, I I think I struggle mm. with that. I know that oftentimes the formation of our early understanding of God comes from a reflection of what we view as our earthly mother and father. That's why Scripture both talks about God as father and God as mother. You know, so um, right. for a parent listening to this, that's thinking. Holy mother of God, there's so much pressure on me not to mess this thing up. You know, what advice do you give them to, you know, we can't, we can't live as if we are God, but knowing that our children are looking to us and starting to understand God through us. Yeah. Oh, I have to tell you when I first ran across, you know, there's just a huge body of research around this. I think I laid on the couch and cried for a week. And so, uh, I hear you, um, and, and it just does two things for us. Well, one is I tell a story um, in, the, in the book about um, how God also bypasses um, 
um, our picture of God that is shaped by our parents. So we are shaped, and it's not only by our parents, by the way, although that's a heavy piece. It's also by the authority figures. So pastors and youth pastors and children's pastors and teachers. I remember a, a piece of um, one of my, my early picture of God comes from actually from my English teacher when I was in middle school. Um, he, uh, Mr. Dice was his name, by the way. And, you know, he was incredibly patient with me, incredibly, and just sort of lavished a ton of grace and mercy in my direction. Um, so, so it's not only parents, and um, it's kind of a conglomerate image of those who have authority and power in our lives when we're young. Um, and I would say that um, for parents, first is to take a deep breath and realize that um, your child's relationship with God does not rest on you. It does not rest on you. You, you. Um, aren't um you're not responsible for your children's relationship with god you're not um free to abandon the influence that you do have but that that our children are gods and um and that's always going to chase against us in terms of where we are in our own life god and um how we're how we are um you know, this whole parenting journey is all about trust. God, do I trust you with this, my most precious um, uh, relationship? So um, there's that piece about trust. And then also, when we are fully present to our children, we give them the best picture of God. So not when we have the right answers, not even when we're perfect. You know, God, of course, is perfect, but they're going to understand our imperfections much sooner than we would like for them to understand our imperfections. But that shaping piece, the real power that we have is to be fully present to our children. And that helps them to know that love looks like presence. And God love to us looks like presence. You know, God doesn't take away the pain in our lives. Um, God doesn't work out all of our questions, but instead God is with us. That's, you know, that is Emmanuel. That is the incarnation, God with us. And so um, kind of a, um, a practical acronym that I like to use to help parents and myself um, remember to be present. It's the acronym B-O-W. So presence looks like bodily. It is, it is our bodies facing the other. And that means, um, I, uh, uh, that means for my children who are teenagers, um, it means I have put my screen down and they have put theirs down as well. It means uh, that my arms aren't crossed, that my body actually looks open to them, that I'm actually looking at them and listening. Um, the other is O for openness. Um, am I open to hear what they actually have to say without judgment? 
without judgment. And it's not that we don't have seasons uh, in their lives and ours that we teach them things and we teach them uh, discernment, but we're not, we're open to whatever they have to say. And, um, you know, children can read, we all can read judgment and closed, closed offness in someone's face and body language. So really um, being open to whatever they have to bring. And then the last is wonder. Um, how do we cultivate a wonder, a wondering and an incredible wonder uh, for the person in front of us and what they're sharing? Um, when, right now, um, my daughters are 15 and 19, and we are quarantined together. And so there's lots of vigorous fellowship uh, happening. And um, we can totally tell when we're not open and wondrous to another. Um, we're we're uh, in the Psalms together right now because the Psalms really help us to be able to express the emotion that we feel, not any kinds of emotions we think we should feel. Um, uh, my my um, daughters like to say we can't should all over each other. Um, so that's... <laughs> That's a, a good word. That's a very good word for adolescence. Um, and so how can I express wonder with the real emotions that they are both feeling um, in a time when they've lost a lot? Well, I think certainly this, this time we find ourselves in, and I think we have to note, you know, the day we're recording this, we're... Um, now two weeks into um, uh, peaceful protest all around our country around um, racism, uh, both uh, systematic and, and localized in so many different ways um, for, for so many people. Uh, we're still in the middle of this COVID-19 crisis. And so our, our children have a lot of questions. They have a lot of um, things they wonder about of what's happening around, uh, around them. And, and you talk about um, how do we talk to our children about some of these things? In the book you wrote, in Sacred Conversations, uh, listeners create the space and then as much as they are able, get out of the way. The unseen person is in the room, is listening, speaking, interacting, and listeners know they are witnessing the sacred. It's true that listening posture can be initially disoriented to an adult who has been in a leadership role. Talk to us as we think contextually in what we're seeing right now in our country. I mean, of course, the pandemic of uh, the pandemic of racism is not a new pandemic. It's something that has been here, um, has always been here within America. But but how do how do parents have difficult conversations with their children, especially children who are younger, about what they're seeing in the world? That's that's such a great question, and thank you so much for bringing this up. Um, I I think there are a few things to do. One is children are hearing what's happening at the news, on the news and they are seeing it in their communities with the protests that are happening. And an important question that we can ask our children might be, what do you see and what do you think? And a third question might be, where do you see God moving in all of this? And then again, have that B-O-W, the body, 
a sense of openness, and then wonder. A wonder at what they are hearing, at, at what you are hearing, and a wondering around what is God doing in my child. Um, so, so the first is to have some intentional conversations and ask some of those open-ended questions. And, and um, during a question time, we, we want to be sure and reflect back what we're hearing. So they may, you know, um, they may give us some language around what they see and what they hear and how they feel about it. And we can say, am I hearing you say? And then we offer it back to them. And that, that helps them to know that they have been heard and helps them to clarify their thinking. Um, so both of those. And then the second is, can I just really encourage people to, um, to get some good literature and read it together as a family? Um, with, my, with my two daughters, we just watched together. We, we actually watched a, the Just Mercy film together. And we had some conversations, these kind of open-ended conversations around. But I could also, I'd, I'd love to recommend a book called Dark Suns by Nikki Grimes. And it's, uh, it's, this is a chapter book um, that can be read with middle um, schoolers and, um, you know, from about fourth grade up. And it's, it's written actually in poetry. And it's asking a lot of these very difficult and deep questions. And, um, and through the act of reading together um, and gathering around story, our own, um, our own, um, let me see. I'm pausing for a second to think how I want to say this. our own unseen biases, stereotypes that have woven their way into ways we no longer want to be anymore can be unearthed. so that we can follow in the way of Christ. You know, for, and I certainly understand if you've got um, you know, older children, and uh, uh, what is the appropriate age to, you know, talk to a child about uh, racism, systemic racism? Um, you know, I, I think our children at all ages can understand love for others. Um, you know, but but at what age do you think, as an educator, that they can begin to comprehend the understanding of the discrimination and, and specifically racism? Hmm. Well, I think it depends on the child when they will be able to developmentally um, internalize it, and it, they will begin to understand it sort of in. Um, in different levels, um, if I could sort of um, say, uh, compare it to when do we talk to them about sex? Well, we talk to them about sex all the time. From the time when they were young, we just give it to them in different pieces on different levels. So part of that will come knowing how much to talk with your children about will come from the questions, open-ended questions that, that they 
who asked them and listening to them. Um, you know, what do you think? What, I mean, begin by what do you see? What do you think? And where do you think God is at work? Um, and that will let you know how much to share. But, but I think we talk about uh, this systemic racism. As young as we are comfortable talking about it. Our toddlers probably aren't going to understand. But in very simple language, first graders can begin to understand. There's a fascinating part of this book that and maybe some of this is the undercurrent of parents' hesitancy or fear to talk about difficult things with their children. You wrote, the journey of becoming awake and participatory in the Trinitarian reality is a journey through fear. Adults often forget that children's um, woundedness and fear it, it inspires their uh, detriment are roadblocks to communion that are set up as early as the first wounds are experienced. The child's fear reminds us of our own fears that we have worked hard to bury or to rationalize. I wonder if you'll take us a little deeper there. Sure. Um, our, our, we all have wounds in our lives. So these fears that are laid down early on and this, this de the deeper woundings have to do um, generally with belonging and um, a sense of being haunted. Um, those are our deeper wounds. And when our children come near to their own wounds, it touches our own. And it is kind of our faithfulness um, to, um, to do our own wounded work. Um, and, and, from our, and if we don't, that's the place that we project our wounds all over other people. Um, and children's wounds, they're, they're going to be um, wounded. And um, many times, um, behavior that we, we don't find acceptable is tied to those deep wounds. And if we can help them um, by listening to them and by creating space where they can bring their wounds to God, um, uh, those wounds aren't buried and deepened. Instead, they're brought to the light um, uh, where transformation and acknowledgement and um, really love can begin to heal them. There's a, a probably a varying degree of folks that will be listening to this and um, certainly clergy are involved in this conversation. Um, how do you see local church ministers using, using this to help equip the parents um, of their congregations? Sure. Well, I, I can tell you what I have seen um, so far. Um, some churches have, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, bought these books and created um, uh, reading groups that have got parent, parental reading groups that have gotten together and read and discussed it. Um, another, another church has been so moved um, by the idea of listening to children, really, um, that I'm training a group of um, uh, parents and um, other people who are in the congregation um, to be listeners. 
they're going to set up um, in their church, give a room specifically so that children can come to that room. And it can even be during the, you know, during whatever's happening on Sunday morning or Wednesday that they will have two adults who are holy listeners. And they're creating a safe, contemplative space for children to be listened to. So I'm, I'm going to spend two days um, training a few adults um, for their uh, multi-campus, so multi-site church, um, to um, really kind of host a listening, contemplative space for children. Well, for those that want to stay connected with Lacey, you can visit her work at gooddirtministries.org. Follow her on Facebook and Instagram. Of course, go out and purchase Spiritual Conversations with Children wherever books are sold. Uh, Lacey, thank you for inviting us to be active listeners in the spiritual formation of our children and active participants in opening them up to the reality of God's love. It's so good to be with you. Thank you for the conversation. Well, that's it. That's our conversation. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites at fuller.edu and healthychurch.org. Check out cbf.net for information about our church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, chaplains, and much more. Oh, and uh, one more thing. I don't think we've mentioned it on the podcast before, but visit cbf.net backslash podcast support for ways that you can contribute to the CBF podcast conversations and get some pretty cool stuff in return.